Before we read the scriptures this morning, let us receive the instruction from the Heidelberg Catechism as we come now to the conclusion of this sermon series through the Ten Commandments. The Catechism asks a very good question and provides for us very good answers. Since no one in this life can obey the Ten Commandments perfectly, why does God want them preached so pointedly? First, so that the longer we live, the more we may come to know our sinful nature and therefore become more earnest in seeking the forgiveness of sin and righteousness in Christ. Second, so that we may constantly endeavor and pray to God the grace of the Holy Spirit, that we may become more and more conformed to the image of God until we arrive at the perfection promised to us in the life to come. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we rejoice in you, our great God and Savior. In your great love for us, you have provided all we need for the forgiveness of our sins and our adoption as your beloved children through your Son, Jesus Christ. And therefore, in his name, we pray, O Lord, your blessing upon the reading and hearing of your holy word. We pray, O Lord, for that divine and supernatural light of the Holy Spirit to awaken our minds and give us spiritual illumination and that you would open our hearts by your grace so that we might receive your word for what it is, the word of the living God. And grant us grace to rise up and to follow Jesus to the glory of your name. Amen. Now, did you all hear how well the children did? That's just, that that just makes my heart want to sing. So you may go ahead and open your Bible, uh, your pew Bible, for the unison reading of Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17. But how about this? Since this is the 27th time we've done this, how about this? How about y'all try to do it from memory? And you can have your little cheat sheet open and look down, and I'm going to be leading you. But uh, this is the goal, right? I have hidden thy word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Let us hear the word of God. It is written. Eyes up, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock. 
for the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Amen. And from the New Testament, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew chapter 22, <clears throat> beginning at verse 34. Let us hear the word of God. It is written. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And now unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood to Jesus Christ, we all praise, honor, glory, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, this morning we are concluding our series through the Ten Commandments, and we're doing so by focusing on Jesus' own summary of the moral law of God. When Jesus was asked a test question, a trap question, which is the great commandment in the law? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And in this reply, Jesus combined two different verses of Old Testament Scripture. The first, Deuteronomy 6, 5, you shall love the Lord your God. And Leviticus 19.18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then when he said, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, Jesus was saying that these two commandments are the summary of all that is found in the Hebrew Scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament. Because that's the way the Jews in Jesus' day referred to what we would call the Old Testament Scriptures. They referred to it as the law and the prophets. And so these two commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself, sum up what God requires of us in his holy word. But now we need to ask these questions. Because it might not be so obvious to us 21st century Americans what does it mean exactly to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind? And what does it mean exactly to love my neighbor as myself? You know, sometimes we hear these verses quoted 
as a kind of motto of life with, with, with good intentions. But, 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 but what is the definition of loving God? And, and what is the definition of loving my neighbor? I mean, do I get to define what that means? According to my own opinions, feelings, personal sensibilities, social upbringing. I mean, you see, my point is this. If we're not careful, this teaching of Jesus becomes rather vague, right? Well, we're just supposed to be, you know, we're supposed to be kind of religious and we're supposed to be kind of nice. That isn't going to get it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What did Jesus mean when he said that? Let's look again at the passage. This Pharisee, an an expert in the Jewish law, that's the reason he's called a lawyer, expert in Jewish Old Testament, what we would call Old Testament law. A lawyer asked him a question to test him, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law. You see, the trap was he was trying to get Jesus to set some part of God's law over against another or one one law over against another. It's sort of, you know, kind of as though Jesus would divide and pit one law against the other. Well, you, you see how Jesus responded. The question had to do with the great or the greatest commandment, and Jesus answered, love the Lord your God. But he wasn't content to stop there. He, he immediately added, and a second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, why? What was Jesus' point? He was saying that these two commandments, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself, are really like one commandment. They form a unity. They're indivisible. They are inseparable united to one another so that you can't have one without the other. Love for God is inseparably connected to love for neighbor or else it's not true love for God. Love, and, and, and this is exactly what we learn from the Ten Commandments. The two tablets of the Ten Commandments. The two tablets, love God, love your neighbor. The two tablets are indivisibly and inseparably united. So when when Jesus gave the answer, love God and love your neighbor, it wasn't just that he was mentioning these two separate commandments. No, the genius of his answer is that he was actually referring to the two tablets of the Ten Commandments, indivisibly united. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, the first tablet. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The second tablet, indivisible, inseparably united one to another. Love God, love your neighbor. Jesus was referring to all of the Ten Commandments. Simultaneously. He teaches us that the two tablets of the Ten Commandments may be distinguished from one another, but they can never be separated from each other. They're all linked together. Where there's no true love for God, there is no true love for neighbor. Where there is no love of neighbor defined by the second tablet in its fullest application, there is certainly no love for God. So Jesus' answer to the question about the great commandment shows us the inseparable connection of the two tablets and the interconnectedness 
of all of the Ten Commandments. They're linked together. You can't slice and dice and pick and choose from among them. All of the commandments of the first tablet concerning love for God and all of the commandments of the second tablet concerning love for neighbor are inextricably connected. The moral law of God in the Ten Commandments is a unity. And as the New Testament letter of James says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. New Testament teaching. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. James 2, 10. And in terms of Jesus' teaching about the law and our accountability to it, we do well to remember Jesus' words about malicious anger being condemned as murder. Sexual lust being condemned as adultery. And likewise, with the the spiritual and internal application of the law, it shows us that greed is condemned as theft. Gossip is condemned as false witness. Covetousness is condemned as idolatry, Colossians 3, 5. And the law also shows us that just because we haven't literally broken a commandment doesn't mean that we've always truly, fully kept it. Have we always worshiped the true and living God in spirit and truth with our hearts and not only our lips? Have we honored every Sabbath day as the one day holy to the Lord, fully dedicated to his worship and service without worldly concern or engagement? Have we always obeyed authority out of sincere respect and a true desire to honor those in authority over us? Or do we grind our teeth when we do so? Are we always diligent to protect and to promote the life of our neighbor and to protect and to honor our neighbor's marriage, property, reputation, and status in life and rejoice in that, in our neighbor's success, even beyond our own? So now, if we have ears to hear, we find ourselves being held accountable to the law of God and not just to some of it, but to all of it. How do we respond to that? So, the Ten Commandments show us how to live in response to the grace of God, having been saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ as as our... as our catechism says, so that we constantly endeavor and pray to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit so that we might become more and more conformed to the image of God until we arrive at the perfection promised to us in the life to come. But also, why? Why does God want these commandments so pointedly preached? So that we may come to know our sinful nature and therefore become more earnest in seeking the forgiveness of our sins and righteousness in Christ. Now, dear brothers and sisters, we're coming to our conclusion, and and, um, I want you to know one of the reasons for this 27-sermon series on the Ten Commandments is that we live in, and you parents are raising your children in, a culture which really does not take sin very seriously at all. 
And I, by the way, I'm sorry to say that I think I'm referring to a lot of Christians in general. We, in general, just don't take sin very seriously. And the reason, in general, that we, in general, don't take sin very seriously, quite frankly, is that we don't take God very seriously. We really don't. Our culture just does not take God very seriously. And I seems to me that some of that culture within the church doesn't take God very seriously. And the main reason we don't take God very seriously is that we don't take God's righteousness and God's honor and God's holiness very seriously. So here's the thing. This is how it plays itself out. If God loves us all so much just the way we are, no matter what, because we're all his precious children and he understands all and he forgives all, then really, you know, there's no problem with sin and therefore there really is no problem with God. He just wants us to be happy and he wants us to be nice. That's the American religion, really. They're... It's actually socially a lot, sociological studies that show that. That's what, that's what the youth of America believe. They, God just wants us to be happy and he wants us to be nice. That is not Christianity. It is a false religion and it's very popular. And it's dead wrong. Because you see, at the end of the day, the law of God reveals to us our real problem. This is the reason that God wants the commandments preached so pointedly. The law of God reveals to us our real problem. Now, this applies to me, and it applies to you. It applies to every human who ever lived or will ever live on earth except Jesus. You see, my problem is not that I'm not as intelligent as I need to be. I'm not, but, but that's not really my problem. And your problem is not that you're not as hardworking as you ought to be. And my problem is not that I'm not as disciplined and organized as I, I wish I were. And I wish I were more disciplined and organized, but that's not my problem. And your problem is not that you are not as physically fit as you want to be. And my problem is not that I'm not as socially adept as I wish I were. And your problem is not that you're not as self-confident and charming and successful as you would like to be. You know, for all those little things and a million others like them, we can go buy a self-help book. But those little things and the other million little things like them are not my problem and they're not your problem. My problem is that I am a lawbreaker. Every day I break the law of Almighty God if not by actual commission, then by negligent omission. If not literally, then spiritually. If not externally, then internally. It makes no difference because before his eyes, no secrets are hid. 
And he will judge the secrets of all men and women on the last day. And the wages of sin is death under the wrath and curse of God. And that's my problem. My problem is that I am a lawbreaker. I break the law of the almighty, holy, righteous God every day. And your problem is the same as mine And we can't find the fix in a self-help book. Let's not kid ourselves, as a lot of people do. A lot of people think that God is, now see, a lot of people think that God is more loving than he is holy. That he's more merciful than he is just. So that in the end, they think, I'll be all right. I'll get by. Because they think that God would never really punish them for their guilt. Because for this reason or for that, it wouldn't be fair. People make up stuff like that all the time. They just make it up. Little bitty humans just make it up. And in their ignorance and confusion, it makes perfect sense to them. Don't be that person. Don't be that person. You will never, ever find that in the Bible. It is completely irrational. And it is a horrible, horrible, hellish perversion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the other thing is, you know, I've heard, I've actually heard someone say this. Well, you know, I've never really committed one of the biggies. Doing pretty good. Well, <laughs> what, you know, what most people say, saying the same thing in a different way. I know I'm not perfect, but I try to be good and I'm probably better than most. You know, that's right. Do, go out there, do a survey on the street. Just say, oh yeah, well, I try. I try to be good and I'm probably better than most. Well, you know what? Most people are counting on themselves being better than most. That's mathematically impossible, by the way. But that's not the real issue. You see, they are assuming that God grades, if God grades at all, if God grades at all, he grades on a curve, And they figure that they're going to be on the right side of the curve. But you know, when they or you or I say that, (laughs) who's grading whom, right? I'm grading me. (laughs) And I'm giving myself the benefit of the doubt. It's foolish nonsense, and it's a delusion devised in hell. But all right, for the sake of argument, let's just take that. Let's just take it. Let's say God does grade on a curve. Guess what? That curve has already been set by the man who lived in perfect, perfect conformity to the law of God. 
fulfilling the perfect righteousness of the law of God and who will judge the secrets of men and women according to that standard of perfect righteousness on the last day. Great on a curve, Jesus Christ is the only one who has and ever will pass the test. He is the standard. His perfection is the standard. So how are you feeling about being graded on that curve? The moral law of God in the Ten Commandments shows us our sin and shows us our absolute and desperate need of a Savior. If you and I will only take the time to think seriously about the righteous requirements of the law of Almighty God and consider His infinite holiness and His abhorrence of sin, then, by His grace, by His grace, the law of God will awaken us and cause us to flee the wrath of God by fleeing to Jesus Christ as our Redeemer and our refuge. Wake up! Look! See who Jesus Christ really is and why He alone can save you from the wrath to come. This is the gospel. Now, this is the real gospel of God's real love and God's real grace and God's real mercy and God's real forgiveness. God himself has made a provision. God himself has made a way for his justice against lawbreakers to be perfectly satisfied. For the penalty for your law-breaking to be paid in full. For his wrath against my sin to be absolutely appeased. For the honor of his righteousness as judge of all the earth to be fully upheld. And at the same time, by the same means, for law-breaking sinners, you and me, to be completely forgiven. For law-breaking enemies, you and me, to be reconciled to God without his vengeance. For law-breaking rebels to be adopted as his children. For helpless, hopeless sinners, you and me, to be born again into everlasting life with heaven assured. God himself has made that provision. God himself has made that way for perfect justice and perfect mercy to come together in perfect unity. For infinite holiness and infinite grace to be bound together in infinite love. Jesus Christ crucified is that provision for you and for me and for every lawbreaker who will come to him in faith, 
for the forgiveness of their sins. On the cross, the justice of God against my law-breaking was executed against Jesus, the law-keeper, in my place. On the cross, the penalty for your law-breaking was paid in full by Jesus, the law-keeper, in your place. On the cross, the wrath of God against your sin and mine was poured out on Jesus, the sinless one, in our place. The holy, righteous, commandment-giving, almighty God has made that provision for us so that lawbreakers who could never pass the test of righteousness under the law would be given freely by grace at the cost of Christ's blood, a righteousness, a righteousness not their own. The perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ received through faith in him. By grace, through faith in Christ, we stand forgiven, accepted, reconciled, adopted, righteous. We stand before God, righteous, with the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself, Because he takes that perfect test score and writes your name at the top of the paper. That's the gospel. That's the real gospel. Have you been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? through faith in Jesus Christ? Have you been brought up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery? This is the promise and provision of God himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Therefore, and I say this, I say this to to those of you who have believed in Jesus Christ all of your life. I'm saying it to you as well as perhaps there's someone here who hasn't truly given his or her heart and life and mind and soul to Jesus Christ. Perhaps there's someone here who has not truly bowed the knee, but I'm saying it to all. Believe in Jesus Christ. Lay hold of him. I had a conversation recently. It was a passing conversation with somebody not associated with our congregation. Didn't have time to deal with it. It was this is kind of one of those passing things, you know, that gets said because, because I'm a preacher and people say these kinds of things to me. He said, Yeah, you know, somebody asked me if I was going to heaven. I thought, you know, I don't know if I'm going to heaven. Know it. Lay hold of Jesus Christ. These things are written so that you may believe and in believing have eternal life. Cast yourself on his mercy. Rejoice in him. 
Quit looking at yourself and look to him. Honor him as your king. Rejoice in him as your savior. There's no power in heaven and earth that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, rise up, rise up. Come out of slavery. and Follow him in a life of true liberty. May the words of the psalmist, the prayer of the psalmist be in your heart. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Why? Because it leads me in the way of Jesus Christ. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Why? Because in so doing, I show forth my gratitude for all your grace to me. Brothers and sisters, Let us walk in his ways and keep his commandments to the glory of his holy name. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious heavenly Father, how we thank you for the gospel of your glorious Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name that your word would take deep root in our hearts. We pray that it would change our minds and transform our souls, transform our lives so that we might live all the more as people who know your love and know your grace and know your mercy and therefore live lives of joyful and grateful and happy obedience. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. In response to the glorious gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith as we say together the faith of the one church of Jesus Christ throughout history and throughout the world in the Apostles' Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, Born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and a life everlasting. Amen.